This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Look, we all know from experience, compliance sucks. But what if I told you that there is a better way? Our good friends at ByteCheck developed the first ever managed service for SOC 2. Leverage the innovative ByteCheck platform and a combined experience of over 30 years from the ByteCheck team to complete your SOC 2 examination faster without the headache. The ByteCheck team works as an extension of your team to prepare evidence, draft SOC 2 report sections, and provide all the necessary artifacts to your team to then provide to auditors. Reach out to the ByteCheck team by dropping down into the show notes and visiting ByteCheck.com. Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. In this episode, we have a good friend of ours, Jimmy Sanders. He is a mentor. He is a technician. He is an all-around leader. And in this episode, we talk about what we're worth in technology and in cybersecurity. He has so much advice and so much knowledge to share on this episode. Without further ado, let's jump right in. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again with a friend, a mentor, someone that is always promoting positive change in our community. Our guest this episode is Jimmy Sanders. Jimmy is an information security expert and also director of ISA. You have a lot of other things going on. You're helping a lot of other organizations. It's great to speak, Jimmy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ron. And thank you, Chris, for having me. I remember at our time at Netflix, you are always there supporting me, helping me show me the ropes and everything. And even beyond Netflix, you've always supported everything we've done with the podcast. You're always introducing us to folks, giving us opportunities. So first, thank you. But then for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Oh, perfect. And Chris, it's always great to promote positivity within the industry and the culture. My name is Jimmy Sanders. I've been practicing computer technology since 1999. I still remember the Y2K bug. Uh, that, <laughs> that shows you how long my career goes back. But I first got focused specifically in computer security in 2006 when I started working for a financial company doing their security. And so I took that position from a security engineering position that only looked at security logs to more of a at the time, there was no role called a CISO. It was just you, the sec senior security officer at the time. And I worked at that company for approximately five years. And then I moved over to SAP and I managed their, SAP was trying to go to the cloud and they wanted somebody to help them move to the cloud. This was before a few acquisitions. And I worked there and I've been doing computer security ever since. And I've had the wonderful opportunity to work with Chris at Netflix for a few years. And it's been a great ride. I'm also the president for the San Francisco Bay Area chapter of ISSA, as well as director for ISSA International and a director for the Information Security Leaders Foundation. Or not a director, I'm on the board of directors for that organization. 
I love the fact that you've practiced security for so long and you've taken the time to give back to the community. But I'm sure starting back in 2006, cybersecurity as a whole was completely different. There was no traditional path to get into the field. You probably in some ways stumbled into security. I would love to hear the origin story of how you made your way into security in the first place. Thanks, Ron, for asking. That is one of the topics that I tend to talk about when I mentor or talk to students. And that is a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And what happened to me was I was a manager of uh, IT uh, for about a year and the CIO was walking around looking for this position to fill. And he's he was waving this piece of paper and I'm not for sure why he had the paper in his hand, uh, but I said, hey, let me look at this. And it was a position for the security engineer's role at the company. And I'm looking at it and it says, can you read logs? Can you do this? And it was simple IT stuff. There was nothing I saw on it that was insane security hacker things. Mm-hmm. And my experience was that I had always had a, an affinity. I always loved computer security, but I thought those was for the elite people who only read FRAC and submitted articles to FRAC and could pass the stack and do crazy hacks. And so, he, and so he told me, he said, Jimmy, okay, you think you can do this? I'll give you three months to do this, or I'll give you a three month probationary period. What he neglected to tell me at the time was that we had just failed an, a SAS 70 audit and we were getting ready for a PCI audit at the same time. <laughs> and that was my intro to security. That's insane. But what's crazy about that is that you took that situation and you brought it to life and you turned it into something crazy. So many people look up to you from all over the world and what you've done. I still look up to you and you are, in fact, the standard for uh, doing proof of values, proof of concepts. At one point, you told me you were doing one every single week because you want to stay up to date to technology. Is there something in your past that made you want to be so aware in the cybersecurity space or just aware in general? Was there something that happened to you when you were younger that said, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go 120 on it? Yes. What ended up happening to me was the fact that my career, what I neglected to tell in my polished resume, is that I didn't find my passion in technology until I graduated high school in 93. I got my bachelor's degree in San Jose State in 2005. So there's a 12-year period throughout my life where I was stumbling around trying to find my passion. And once I discovered my passion and my love for technology, I wanted to ensure that I pushed this opportunity as hard as possible. One of the other things that happened to me along the way that I was thinking about was that in terms of my ethic is that I used to play basketball and I thought I was good, but I wasn't really that good. But long story <laughs> short, I, I, I tore both my Achilles six months apart. And I remember at the time, the doctor said, oh, Jimmy, you tore your Achilles. One is really bad. You may not be able to walk regularly again. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. So I signed up for a half marathon. Long story short, did the half wow. marathon, did the marathon, hooked up with some friends, and we started doing triathlons and Ironmans. And one of the things that training and doing Ironmans taught me is that your work ethic, everybody works hard in Ironman. You don't get to do an Ironman by not working hard. 
So you just got to keep that drive and keep that push. And I keep that mentality even in cybersecurity. Dang, hopefully you didn't blow out another Achilles on your your, <laughs> your Iron Man, right? No, luckily, that was one of the best things that happened to me because of the cross-training that's involved in triathlons where you swim, bike, run. You're not doing one thing all the time. You're doing multiple things. So that was great for my body. Wow. So that 12-year gap, you were you said you were stumbling around. I'm sure you were still learning quite a few things throughout that gap. For Chris, one of the things that I really... Uh, admire about him is he did a degree in humanities. He was able to focus on something outside of technology before getting into his passion. And for me, it was the other way around. I got into technology first and then started exploring the auxiliary components that make me really awesome at cybersecurity. What are some of the things that you learned in that 12-year gap that helped you understand where your passion was? I understand the absence of having a, a passion. I used to be a baker, machine operator, and then I started going to junior colleges all over again because I had immediately graduated high school, went to University of Houston. And then once I stopped going to University of Houston, I was just stumbling around, uh, went back to some junior colleges and going back to school reignited. I understood I was always considered smart in school. So it wasn't that I thought that I couldn't achieve or do well in school. It was that the degree I was taking at the time when I went to University of Houston was mechanical engineering because I was good at math, so I thought do engineering. But to me, it was just so bored, I ended up failing out of University of Houston. Mm. It was only when I took my first intro to Java class that wasn't, it was an elective. And I started tinkering with that and coding in Java that I realized that computers were always what I loved. I used to recode when I was in elementary, a TI, Texas Instruments computer, and they would have mm -hmm. this book of basic programming. And I would do that book for hours on end. But growing up, I didn't realize that technology was a valid path forward. Once you realize that path, was something that you could take, or maybe even you didn't even realize it until you were already here. What was that journey like into the community? Did you have folks that you looked up to that helped guide you along the way? Or was it the School of Hard Knocks for you? I Luckily for me, I had an amazing school and I continue to have this amazing school like you, Chris and Ron, who I can talk to and we work with on amazing things. What happened with in my journey that really skyrocketed me uh, hopefully was I, st I joined ISSA. I was a loan practitioner at my financial company for about a year. Then I picked up a few staff members and I went to a local ISSA, ISSA chapter. And when I went to the chapter, it was a CISO next to two CISOs right next to me. And they were at, one was at a fortune 500 bank CISO. And another one was worked for HP enterprises at the time. And I looked around and I was thinking to myself, is, if this is the type of people that I can talk to and get ideas from without having to pay them, bribe them, beg them, they're willingly giving their information, I would be foolish not to take them up on it. Thus, I started networking and I always remember that they were there for me listening to my advice when they didn't have to be. 
And I try my best to make sure that I'm open to at least listening to people when I don't necessarily have to be, but they, it may be great for them. There's something really powerful in that uh, and just listening and also the networking aspects. We are big readers. We love to read because there's years worth of wisdom that you can distill down into maybe a few hours in the form of a book. And same for courses. It might not be years worth of experience, but it's still months, if not a year of experience that you can boil down into training. But if you have access to someone and you could just speak to someone and listen to them, then you can really distill many years down into a few minutes and have a great conversation and get that immediate feedback. Have you been constantly seeking out mentors along this journey? What is your way to stay fresh on everything that's going on? We're in this information overload era where there's more resources than we can you know, ingest. How do you stay fresh in all of the things going on? Thanks for the question, Ryan. And this goes back to what Chris was alluding to earlier, where he's talking about me and the team and, you know, DVD.com doing a lot of proof of concepts. Once I started networking, I realized that we get, we, the collective, we in computer security get pitched by vendors a lot on their products. I realized that if I was practicing computer security the same way this year as I was doing last year, then I'm in... I'm doing my team and my company a disservice because the attackers aren't doing the same type of attack. The ransomware isn't the same flavor of ransomware as it was last year, as it is this year. Mm. And the only way for me to really see if that works in my environment is I have to try it because it may work in your environment, Chris, or it may work in your environment, Ron, but you may have a Windows stack or a Linux stack or a hybrid stack, or you may be in Kubernetes I have no idea. I can get your feedback. And I lean on my peers all the time asking me, have you heard of a new product? Of What is their management? What is their roadmap like? Where I'm constantly getting feedback in that instance. But until you actually bring it into your environment, because everybody's going to tell you their GUI looks good or their APIs are amazing or it cuts down on downtime or log review and all the other things. But there is never a silver bullet besides you getting to work with your team and the people you have around you to optimize your security environment. One thing we we talk about all the time is superpowers. And it seems like you have so many of them. You're a networking master. You are a master technician. Hell, you even have a great nose for Korean barbecue. So (laughs) I wanted to ask you, what do you think your superpower is? And could you tell us a story of when it was most evident? I believe my superpower is openness and neutrality. And I believe the event that, that we're working on for April 27th is an evidence of that. And what I mean by that is I've realized in my career that if you really don't care who gets the credit for something, you can do some amazing things. And one of the amazing things that are happening is we are getting these groups together and these security leaders together who collectively are the presidents of their organization, but they're not looking for it in themselves to get the credit that say their organization is leading this or this organization is leading this. We're working together as a team to push forward an event that highlights our communities, but also hopefully offers opportunities for people to network, to improve their career. Because I realized in terms of 
from my personal level that if people wouldn't have reached out to me, I would still be working in that financial company making a lot less money. Okay. That's so you were saying that the superhero the superpower is neutrality? I guess I wouldn't call it neutrality. Chris says I'm always I always got some kind of hustle <laughs> or um some kind of drive, but one of the so to speak honestly, I realize in the computer industry we have a, a lot of or just people in general. We have a lot of people that want to do things. We have a lot of people that have the ability to do things, but don't necessarily have the bandwidth or the time. And then we have people like you, Chris and Ron, who are getting up, executing every day at a high level. I realized if, I guess my superpower was making things happen. I tell my board members on the San Francisco board, um, I I want you to do your role. You're doing a great job. You can always come to me when you need something pushed and made happen. For instance, you meet a roadblock on a deadline or a timeline or this vendor isn't being responsive, then I step in and make it happen. Nice. Love that. And you also mentioned something that I think is critical for anyone working in any field, especially in technology or cybersecurity, and that is realizing the opportunity that you have and also taking opportunities and shots on yourself that might be better. If we're talking about, you might still be at this same financial technology company and making less money, but now you're in a better situation to have more experience and also make more money. How do you think someone can get into that mindset of not taking either side of having that neutrality mindset, but also capitalizing on experience and financial freedom? Those are two great ideas and questions. So, one of the stories that I tell is my 69.5 story. And this story goes, I was just got a review at a company. And they said, Jimmy, here's your new salary. And it was a slight raise and it was $69,500. And at the time, I thought that was good money. But I asked them, please, just give me another $500. Just so I could say I make 70 k I can go back home, I can brag to my friends, I can say I make 70K. And they said, Jimmy, we can't do that because th the way our salaries work, this is the percentages and that 500, 695 happened to fall in, under this percentage increase and they couldn't make that happen. I started talking to my peers and I'm like, Jimmy, what are you talking about? Salaries are always negotiable. Things are always adjustable. It's only when you don't ask that and you don't force it that it doesn't happen. And so I stayed at the company for another month or two, but I started looking at other opportunities. And my next opportunity, I went from 69.5 to $110,000. Mm. And so I tell that to people because you were never forced into your situation unless you decide to be forced in that situation you always have the opportunity to push and always understand what your worth is. If you can't come to an opportunity and understand what you bring to the table, then yes, you should take what they give you. But if you feel like you bring value and you can demonstrate that value, then ask for that value. 
That's incredible. That's an incredible story. And I hope people out there are, are listening because some salary is something that we really don't talk a lot about. But I think the more conversation we have about salaries and the potential earnings of being in cybersecurity, I think the more you help the community. What are some things that you've learned along the way about getting what you're worth and understanding your true value? Is there a piece of advice that you would have for folks out there? Yes. And I'm great you asked that question because I agree with you, Chris. Unfortunately, we're conditioned to not talk transparently about salaries or salary ranges. And one of the things that I learned is I used to work when I worked at SAP Research, I worked right next to the HR and recruiting department. So I learned all the tips and tricks and tactics that they use and that were used against them in negotiations. Almost every company I've worked for, you can negotiate some form of signing bonus. If they don't give you some form of signing bonus up front, they will give you some kind of performance bonus after a certain period that you've been at the job executing. The holiday schedule is always negotiable. Uh, everything that you put down is negotiable because when you become an executive at a company, they have a different package than the regular employee has to begin with. So there's always change in the structure of contracts. It's just that the visibility of that structure isn't demonstrated and talked about to employees because human resources don't necessarily want transparency because it may mean that you being a, a minority will have to get the same salary as somebody who's not a minority. Where we've seen in the news and just in data that there is um, income disparity when it comes to whether ethnic groups or whether it's males, females. And so by understanding what your peers are re receiving, I'm not telling you that it's an apples to apples comparison because companies range in terms of size. But if you know that you work at a company that's worth $4 billion and your peers work in another company worth $4 billion and you're in similar industries, you should be making similar salaries if your performance are similar. You are speaking a lot of truths. And one of the things that helped me understand that it's okay to negotiate is this book that I read by Chris Voss. It's called Never Split the Difference. Yes. And he talks about how to negotiate for yourself. A lot of the times when someone gives you an offer, someone shows you a price, shows you an offer letter, it's a suggestion. It's a suggestion that you should work here for this amount of money or you should buy this product for this amount of money. But there's always that room and opportunity for negotiation. As long as both sides have a win-win outcome, then there's no risk of negotiating. I've learned that over the course of my career, if I ask for a higher salary, it's not disrespectful. As long as I can bring that same level of performance to the table that the company is betting on me for. And I think it's the same for experiences. You were talking about holiday schedule, but I think it's also goes into work responsibilities. What would you say to anyone that is looking at a job that's interested, but it doesn't necessarily have the responsibilities that they really want to focus on? Do you think that's negotiable and worth also negotiating when you're looking at an offer? Yes, but before you even think about what the responsibilities have, one of the things that as I was alluding to working at the HR department, 
they're putting down general requirements of you for this position. If they really knew what the real inner workings of that position were, they wouldn't be looking for you. They would already have it because that person would be doing that job. The fact that they're looking for that means it's pretty much going to be, if you are an expert at your craft, an open canvas for you to put your imprint in terms of responsibilities aren't hard lines in the sand that you can't deviate from. That's to me an engineer's mentality or not even an engineer's mentality. That's a person who wants to go to work and do their job. I want to go to my job and outperform and excel in computer security. That means I don't know what that means on a day-to-day basis, but I know what that means from an overall cohesive standpoint where I have to change. Your responsibilities have to change. I may suddenly have to start understanding virus protocols and disaster recovery plans where I never thought I would be comfortable with that. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Technology Workforce Collaborative Summit that you're pulling together. Uh, You invited us to come. We're going to be the host. It's going to be a great time. But first, I would love to hear a little bit about the, the impetus of this summit. And then also, what are you trying to do with the summit? What are you hoping that is the outcome of it? Yes. So as I was talking with Ron in terms of superpowers, one of the things that tends to happen with me, and it may obviously happen with you, Chris and Ron, is that people will ask you, I'm trying to improve my career. Do you know of any organizations or people who I can talk to? And I would tell them, yes, if you're trying to be a CIO or something of that nature, then the office CIO is a great organization to join. You're trying to be a mentor. That's a great thing. Each one, teach one. There's, You can be a mentor for the Information Security Leaders Foundation. That's one good organization. And, and obviously, there are several more, and it goes on and on. Of, and I would talk about ISA. And what I found is that we, and when I say we, the collective we, in terms of the security organization and just technology in general, we don't go out of our silos to reach over to the owl, to a competing organization or to other organizations to illuminate them for the benefit of just people in general, instead of trying to do what's in my best interest. And so I wanted to work with people who put their self-interest second and the interest of the community first to highlight the opportunities that are available because we have such a shortage of qualified personnel and technology, and as well as computer security that We need to get that in front of people. And one of the things that I realized as well is that computer technology, and and this goes back to me, if you don't even know that's a field available to you, how can you make that, how can you even journey into that field? So trying to illuminate that these are opportunities, these are shots that are available to you that can change your life. One thing I wanted to ask you is that there's probably someone listening to this episode and they're having debates about their value in cybersecurity. They're having debates about their value in their job. They're they're not really understanding what it is that they're due based on the skills that they have acquired, based on the passion that they have. What piece of advice would you have for that person that's trying to figure out exactly how much they're worth? Great question again. One of the things I would ask you is attend the Tech Workforce Collaborative That way you will hear from different organizations that can show you how you can increase your value from either a net worth standpoint or from a community service standpoint, where if you want to be a mentor or if you need a mentor, 
If you're still questioning your value, that means you haven't talked to people who have uplifted, uplifted you and tried to work with you in terms of here's the great things that you do because everybody at their job is doing something great. It needs somebody with an outside lens who can give you a true perspective and not sugarcoat it that can tell you strong traits and your weaknesses. Once you can analyze that, you bring that to the table to a company that says, I'm great at X. I'm great at blah. For me, for me, when I get hired by a company, I can guarantee that I will do a lot of automation. I will work with machine learning and I'll do some form of networking skills in terms of people networking and of making the team happy. And we do some fun stuff. Uh, but understanding what you do is that's the great things. And, but it, it takes more than you to figure that out because you may think, I may think that I'm good at this. And then Chris or Ron, you may say, no, Jimmy, I've seen you work. You think you're good at this, but it's really this. And by mm -hmm. understanding that helps you so much. Great advice. Jimmy, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the mics with us today. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, everything you have going on, and also the Technology Workforce Collaborative Summit, what are the best ways that people can do that? Yes, perfect. You can go to TechWC. That stands for Tech Workforce Collaborative. So techwc.org. You can also, if you're going to RSA, please check out my RSA keynote. I'm doing it with a wonderful lady named Angela Wyman. It's May 18th is my keynote. It'll be in the morning. And you can check me out on LinkedIn. Search for Jimmy Sanders or the president for San Francisco ISA. I should pop up. You'll see my picture. I'm the smiling black man with the, <laughs> with, the, with the teeth out. So please check me out. Yes, please check them out. I cannot wait for the Technology Workforce Summit. And with that, we'll drop all of the resources in the show notes, by the way. And we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.